Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast podcast. Thank you for joining us for our study through the book of 1 Corinthians. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the struggling church in Corinth. They were allowing the culture to influence them more than they were impacting the world. As a result, the church was crumbling. Paul's strong words of rebuke and encouragement teach us many things about how we as believers should live in a dark and depraved world. Grab your Bibles and let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, would you open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? When you get there, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. Paul continues on and says, Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For, verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a, for since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ all will be made alive." But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits. After that, those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has, has abolished all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The, en- the last enemy that will be abolished is death. For he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. Verse 29. Otherwise, what will those... What will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? Why are we also in danger every hour? I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. You may be seated. You got to love the New American Standard Bible. (laughs) 
As we've been looking throughout this, this study in this book is that 1 Corinthians is a corrective letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, that is ancient Greece, and that the church, it was a young church. It started off very strong, but then things eventually got messy. Sin brought division, hostility, immaturity. And Paul, he's writing this letter to them. And what he's ultimately saying to them is what we saw last week is that, church, you need the gospel. You need the good news of Jesus Christ, not just in your heads, but also in your hearts. The gospel of Jesus Christ should um, influence and, uh, and affect every aspect of your lives. And this week in our section, we're going to see that he's saying to them in particular that they need to understand the good news that Jesus rose from the grave. That is, of course, if Jesus actually did rise from the grave. You know, there's a lot of powerful words in this section of scripture that I just read to you this morning, but the most powerful word, and, and it and appears many times, is a, it's a little pivotal word, actually, and it's the word if. If. It is such a profound word. You know, it's so small. It's two letters. If. You know, it changes the way that we talk. You know, I could, you can tell me, you know, just what was it, like a couple weeks ago, like the lottery was like at what, 1.5 billion or something crazy. And I could go out and buy a ticket and you could say, Ryan, that's cute and all, but you're not going to win the lottery. I would tell you something like this, but what if I did, right? Like it changes everything with one little word, if. The little word if invites us to believe that the impossible can be possible, that the unbelievable can be believable. Paul says, if Christ rose from the dead, you see that word, that little word if has implications on either way. Because if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then we can simply forget about Christ and just go home this morning. But if he did... If Jesus did raise from the dead, then you and I should drop everything and follow after him. Amen? And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at this passage and we're going to explore the ifs on both sides. Because that's what the Apostle Paul does. Because in, in, in these verses, 12 through 34, it forms an A-B kind of pattern here. Verses 12 through 19 as well as 29 through 34, both take up the implications that the resurrection isn't true. Like if it isn't true, this is what it means. But right smack dab in the middle, verses 20 through 28, we see that Paul gloriously affirms that the resurrection is true. But he starts with what if Christ hasn't been raised. So let's first talk about that. Look at verse 12. He says, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, this morning, let me set some context for you. Because when we hear today the word resurrection, we think of it a lot differently than how they would have thought of it. To us, 
When we hear the resurrection, we think of an individual rising from the grave in the middle of history. That's what we kind of think of. That's what I think of. But for them, the word resurrection evoked the idea of all God's people rising bodily at the end of time, at the final judgment. And so what was happening in Corinth is that some of the believers there, the Corinthian believers, were denying the resurrection of the believers. They were denying the biblical teaching that we will bodily rise from the dead at the end of time. And you might ask, well, why were they denying it? That's a good question. I would say probably because they were in ancient Greece. They were deeply influenced by Greek thinking. And the core idea in Greek thinking was dualism. It's this idea that the physical and the material realm were inferior to the spiritual and immaterial realm. And so for Greek thinking, salvation is essentially escaping the prison of the body so that you can have an immaterial spiritual existence. And so the Corinthians here, they're shaped by that thinking. And they're thinking, okay, Jesus rose from the dead, but we don't believe that we're going to rise from the dead because we have to shed that physical, material body. This is a corrupted body. And so Paul is saying to them here in this section that you can't have one without the other. You can't have the resurrection of Jesus without the resurrection of his people. And we see that here in verse 13 where he's exposing their logic. He says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, that's referring again to the general resurrection of God's people, he says, not even Christ has been raised. And so here, here's what Paul wants them to see. He wants us to see it as well, is that Christ's resurrection is the basis of our resurrection. But if Jesus didn't rise then none of this matters. You see, if you lose the resurrection, it's not like you just, you're missing just one belief or one little doctrine in an otherwise fine framework of a belief system. Losing the resurrection isn't like missing one tiny piece to the puzzle, right? Like you build the puzzle, you see the whole picture, you're in, you enjoy the picture of the puzzle. Oh, but there's just one little piece missing. No, no, no. Losing the resurrection is like pulling out the key Jenga like tile from the bottom, right? Everything crumbles without it. If you lose the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we lose everything. Everything comes crashing down. And so Paul wants them to understand, and for us to understand this morning, the implications in not believing in the resurrection. And here he paints a picture of life apart from the resurrection. So he says, if Christ did not raise from the dead, that's what he wants us to see. So number one, he says, if Christ did not rise from the dead, then our lives are characterized as being worthless. Look at verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Verse 17 is the key. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. 
He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is meaningless. It's useless. It's empty. Your faith serves no purpose at all. It's a religious relic at best. It's a spiritual garment that you add on to your life, but it means absolutely nothing. In other words, if Christ did not rise from the dead, let's go home. Like that, that's what I said last, last week. If this is not true, if Christ did not rise, there are so many better things to spend our Sunday morning doing, like sleeping in, going out to brunch, right? If Christ did not rise from the dead, you should and I should take our tithe money and go out to brunch, like right now. If Christ did not rise from the dead, let's shut it down. Let's close the doors. This is all a waste of time. He's saying that if Christ didn't raise from the dead, we have nothing to live for. Right? You're, you're born. We accumulate stuff. Right? Then you die. Sorry, it's kind of bleak, but it is. We have no purpose. If Christ did not rise from the dead, our lives are characterized as being worthless. Number two, he goes on to say that our lives would be characterized by sin. Look at the end of verse 17, or just oh, let's read all of 17. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still dead in your sins. That is, if Christ did not resurrect, then the cross was a defeat. Jesus lost. The game is over. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then you and I are still stuck in our sins. Our guilt is still upon our shoulders and our shame is covering all of us up. If Christ did not die, Paul says, you're still in your sin. Number three, if Christ did not raise from the dead, then our lives are characterized by death. Look at verse 18. He said, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Listen, if Christ has not risen, then death gets the final word. You know, we all have limits in this life, and each and every one of us, most likely, we try and defy the limits the best that we can, right? But at the end of the day, we all will die, each and every one of us. It's the last enemy, and you can't defy it. You can't beat it. And apart from the resurrection of Jesus, again, Paul says, our lives are characterized by death. By death. It's a grim picture, apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Fourthly, Paul goes on to say that apart from the resurrection, that our lives are characterized by despair. Verse 19, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. You see, if Christ has not risen, then there is no hope for the future. Now, today, is all that you have. And so what we have in these few verses is a brutal picture of life apart from the resurrection. But I want you to notice, as I, as I told you, there's a pattern here. There's a kind of a, an A-B pattern. Paul is actually, he's not done. If you skip down with me to verse 29 through 32, he keeps going with this kind of logic. He says in verse 29, otherwise, what will, otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why then are they baptized for them? Now, this is a strange verse, <laughs> 
Like, what is he talking about? Like, being baptized for the dead. Like, what is this? Well, it's strange. I say it's strange because it's found nowhere else in all of the Bible. But what I would say is that Paul is being descriptive here, not prescriptive. He's describing something that the Corinthians were doing, and he's not prescribing something that everyone should do. And you'll notice here that he, that he mentions this. He doesn't necessarily uh, approve of it. He just mentions it. He doesn't command it from the believers. He's simply making a point that if Christ did not rise, then none of this matters, Corinth. You guys are trying so hard. You're baptizing for the dead. For what reason, right? He goes on in verse 30, and he, and he makes the point that if Christ did not raise, verse 30, he says, why are we also in danger every hour? He's like, why are we risking our lives, right? Paul's a, a church planter, and he's always running from his enemies. Like, why am I risking my life if this is not true? Verse 31, he says, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, he says, I die daily. Like, what am I doing this for? Why am I sacrificing my life? If Christ did not rise from the dead, he goes on in verse 32, he says, if from human motives I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. In other words, if Christ is not risen, church, the best that you and I can do is to seek momentary pleasure. That's the best that we have. He says, we can eat good food. If Christ is not raised from the dead, let's all be gluttons, right? Let's just go out and make it Thanksgiving every day, right? Let's get drunk on the best alcohol if Christ is not risen, Let's have one night stands. Let's follow our heart's desires. Whatever that is, whatever fulfills your flesh and my flesh, let's go out and do it because there is no purpose. If Christ has not risen from the dead, Paul is saying that the best that you and I can experience is momentary pleasure. That's it. But the problem with this is, is that momentary pleasure is so fleeting, right? Right? It doesn't lead to lasting joy. It only leads to deeper depression. We become slaves to our desires. And we see that with so many people all around us. Many of us experience this even in our own lives where we just try, we're just eating, we're drinking, we're trying to be merry, like that, as if that's all there is in life. And we run after pleasure. And we chase after things that promise satisfaction, but they don't, right? So what do we do? We chase after more, right? And they don't. And we chase after more. And it doesn't fulfill. And it doesn't satisfy. And so we try to lie to ourselves and to others to try to cover it up. Like, I'm fine. Like, I'm happy. Like, I'm, I'm joyful, right? But we find ourselves in a pit of despair. Solomon in Ecclesiastes calls this chasing the wind. Chasing the wind. And Paul says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then that's all we've got. Food, drink, be merry. Serve your flesh. If Christ did not rise from the dead, here's what he's been saying. Your faith is worthless. You're still in your sin. Death has the final word and there is no hope. It's a bleak picture. Now, for some of you here this morning, that might characterize your life. You might have come in this morning saying, my faith is empty. 
I feel crushed by the weight of my sin. I'm trying to seek after pleasure and happiness, but death is looming after me, like over me. And I don't have any hope in my life. That might describe you this morning. Now, this is a grave picture of life apart from the resurrected Christ. But as I said, it all hinges upon the word if. If. If Christ did not raise, then all of this is meaningless. Amen? But... If Christ did raise, then it changes everything. Now let's look back at what Paul says in verse 20. You know, after he's talking about the life apart from the resurrected Christ, he says in verse 20, I don't want you to miss this. Like, get your, underli- your highlighter, underline these verses with your pen. He says in verse 20, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. There are three people excited about that. (laughs) Maybe the rest of you are highlighting it. You You see, Jesus is the son of God who came down from heaven to save us. He lived a perfect life. He healed the sick. He gave sight to the blind. He forgave sinners. He brought in the outcasts. And he, then he took his perfect life and he offered it up to the cross for our sins. He suffered in our place so that we might be forgiven. He died so that we might live. And after Jesus, though, he died on the cross and they took his body down. We know the story. They laid him in a tomb. And then they rolled the stone in front just to secure the body. And then they, they guarded the tomb with Roman centurions. And then that Friday night, it was quiet. All day Saturday, it was quiet. But on Sunday morning, some of the women, the Bible tells us, went to the tomb and what they saw at the tomb was remarkable. The stone had been rolled away and an angel was there and the angels told the women, hey, do not fear. I know that you're looking for the resurrected, you know, or, or the, the crucified Jesus, but he is not here for he is risen. He's risen. That is the best news that we can ever know and experience. And so what the women did, the women went back to the disciples. They're like, hey, Jesus is alive. He's risen. We've seen the Lord. And then Jesus himself goes and appears to all of his disciples and to many others that he conquered death. They saw it. They witnessed it, that Jesus is alive. And what we see throughout the rest of the New Testament, what we see throughout his human history is the ripple effect of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he was crucified on our behalf, but he didn't stay in the tomb. He walked out of the tomb, conquering sin, Satan, and death. And church, because Jesus is risen, our sin is gone, our shame is removed, our guilt has been taken away. We don't have to live our lives in despair. Amen? Because Christ is risen, you and I have been given joy, we've been given freedom, we've been given life and hope. Are you grateful for the hope that you have? 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that same power, this has been flooding my heart all week as I've been thinking about this text, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave can live in us by faith. And we can experience resurrection life today. Romans 8.11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And so, and so after Paul proclaims in verse 20 that Christ is <clears throat> risen from the dead, he then goes to unpack some of the implications of what does that mean? What does this if mean? If Christ did rise from the dead, Paul says, then we too will rise. Look at verse 20 again. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead, he becomes the first fruit of a great harvest to come. He's the first fruit. You know, the Jews, when they would have that time of harvest of, or first fruits, they would bring their first presentation. They would come and they would offer it to the Lord as a guarantee of a greater harvest to come. And so Paul says that Jesus is the first fruit, meaning that after him will come many others who will follow in this same pattern. In other words, the resurrection of Jesus Christ guarantees our resurrection as believers as well. And even as Christ was raised, so too all believers share in this hope that they will raise in new, glorious, resurrected, eternal bodies. You guys excited about that day? Some of you are a little older. You're like, yes, we're like really excited about that day. And we're going to talk a little bit more next time about what that, what that day looks like with new resurrected bodies. It'll be a glorious day. Verse 21, he says, For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order... Christ the firstfruits, after that those who are Christ at his coming. So he's talking about Adam here, right? Genesis 1 and 2. Adam represented all of humanity. In fact, his name literally means mankind. But Adam represented all of humanity. And Adam, we know, sinned and brought death into the world. And so we are born, the Bible tells us, into sin, into a world under sin and death because of Adam. And the Bible tells us that there are no righteous, right? There's no righteous, no, not one. But Jesus also represents all of humanity. And where Adam sinned, Jesus was obedient. Where Adam brought life, Jesus bring, or death, Jesus brings life. And so what we see here in 1 Corinthians 15 is that Jesus is the new Adam who comes to reverse the effects of the first Adam and set right all that he made wrong. Amen? You see, Adam, um, Adam's sin brought death into the world, but if Christ rose from the grave, then death, we're told, has an expiration date. 
Death is not the last word. In fact, if Christ rose from the dead, death becomes a doorway, the Bible tells us, a doorway into the eternal life. And this is so important because I think, church, that in our culture, in our day, um, the emphasis is so much on living for today. Only today. Live for today, right? For tomorrow you die. Live for today. And we don't think about the future, let alone eternity. Like what happens after death? May we live for eternity. Let's glance back at verse 19 for a second. He says, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. So yes, we are to have hope in this life. We are agents of hope, church. Like we carry around a message of hope. But Paul says, if our hope is only in this life, then we, out of all people, should be pitied. In other words, we are to not only have hope in this life, but we are to have a hope that goes beyond the grave. It means that we should have a hope for what God will do when Jesus returns and he renews all things. As believers, church, we should hope in eternity. We should hope and we should long for eternity. I've been thinking about this week, Revelation 21, where John would write, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Amen? Amen. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's a living hope right there. That's what we ought to live for. Listen, if you are living for today, if you're living for your career, it's going to go down the tubes pretty soon. Like, right? Like, if you're living for the economy, like, one day, it's going to, cr like, crumble. If you're living for your 401k, like, one day, not to discourage you, it's probably going to crumble. But if you live and we long for a day that all tears will be wiped away, right? There will be no more mourning, no more sorrow, no more pain. The former things have passed away. No more death. We long for and we live for that day. Let's keep going. He says, if Christ did raise from the dead. Then not only does death have an expiration date, but we also see that evil will be vanquished. Can you imagine that? You're like, no, I can't imagine that. <laughs> evil will be vanquished. The world will be rid of all of the injustice. All of the wickedness and the pain that we see on a daily basis will be no more. You know, verses 24 to 28, this is talking about when the resurrected Christ returns. And we see that at the, at the end of verse 23, he says, at his coming. Look at verse 24, though. He says, then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority, in power. Now, when he's talking about every rule, authority, and power, he's talking about the evil and spiritual forces in this world. And Paul is saying that when Christ returns, every rule, authority, evil power will be defeated for good, vanquished under the reign of Jesus Christ. Verse 25, for he must reign until he has 
put all his enemies under his feet. This is a reference to Psalm 110, which is a vision of a priest king who sits at the right hand of God the Father and establishes his royal kingdom over all. Jesus is that priest king who reigns over creation. Verse 26, and the last enemy that will be abolished is death. Let me read that one more time. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. In this life, nobody can escape death. And he says that it's the last enemy that one day Jesus will destroy. I don't know about you, but I do not like the idea of death. I do not like the idea of death. I f- we fear death. Sometimes we don't feel, fear like the, the future hope that we have, but we fear the process of death, if we're honest. But the Bible tells us that death is the fate of every single person. Hebrews 9, 27 says, And just as it is it appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Death is the fate for each and every one of us. Each and every one of us. But what a hope that we have if we know Jesus. We don't have to fear death because Jesus is going to destroy death once and for all. Verse 27, he says, for he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be all in all. He says all, it all points to the glory of God the Father. Because the Son was obedient to the Father, he says all things have been given over to the Son. I think of Philippians chapter 2. It says, and, and being found in a human form, he, Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, the Bible tells us that there is coming a day where every single person will acknowledge his authority. You know that? There's coming a day. I mentioned Vladimir Putin last week. Vladimir Putin, there will coming a day where Vladimir Putin acknowledges the kingship of Jesus Christ. Little rocket man, <laughs> Kim Jong-un, he will as well acknowledge the kingship of Jesus Christ. Sorry. <laughs> Just every single politician, whether you voted for them or not, Every single politician that so often so so many people put their hope in, they will acknowledge one day the authority of Jesus Christ. Your coworkers who you are praying for, one day they too will acknowledge the authority of Jesus Christ, either now or in the future. And may we pray that everyone acknowledges Jesus now. Bend the knee to Jesus now and say, Jesus, you are king over my life now. Not, don't wait, don't wait until till it's too late. Now let's skip down and close with verse 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. 
Now, this is interesting. Like, why does he say this right here at this point? <laughs> it seems like a random verse here in, in verse 33. But as we've been seeing throughout our study in 1 Corinthians is that this church in Corinth looked more like Corinth than it did like Christ. The church, or, or I should say the culture, had a greater influence on the church than the church had on the culture And by them associating so much with the world, the believers in Corinth were being conformed to the culture instead of having their their mind and their thinking and their hearts being transformed by the word of God. I think of what Paul would write to the Romans. He says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. He says in verse 34, become sober-minded as you ought and stop sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. And he says, I speak this to your shame. Now again, we, we must remember that he's talking here to Christians. He's talking to believers. He's writing this letter to the church there in Corinth. And he's talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says, church, be sober minded. Maybe your translation says, like, wake up, wake up. And I think he says that because there are a lot of believers who believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but they live their lives as if he's still in the tomb. And we come to church so often on Sundays and we sing about some glorious truths that Jesus is alive and he's risen. But then we go Monday through Saturday and we try to live off our own strength as if the greatest power that the world has ever seen wasn't dwelling within us by faith. And we try to draw from our own strength and we get drained and we get exhausted and we have nothing left when Christ has risen from the grave. And he lives in us by faith. Let me ask you this morning, are you living by the power of the resurrection of Jesus in your life? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to apply to your heart what you know in your mind that Jesus Christ is risen, that he's alive, that we don't serve a dead God, we serve a risen Savior? Jesus is alive, and his resurrection changes everything. Amen? I think of the the lyrics to the song, the popular song that we sing, Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. And because I know he holds the future, and life is worth the living, just because he lives. Church, that is our hope, our strength, and our future. It doesn't matter where you're at in life, what you're going through. No matter what the trials are like in your life, listen, you have a God who loves you and is watching over you, and he lives. He lives. He hears your prayers, right? He follows after you. He chases after you and I when we try to run from him. And some of you, you might be going through a brutal season in your life right now. Brutal season, just a a hard season. I don't know what that is, but you know exactly what I'm talking about this morning. But when we look, listen, when we look to the good news of Jesus Christ, we remember that he entered into our suffering with us and for us. 
that we don't suffer alone. No matter how much you suffer, Christ understands and he's here with you in it. Are you grateful for that? Yeah, some of you are grateful for that. That's great. That's good news. Listen, we not only believe in a crucified Christ, we believe in a resurrected Christ. So no matter how hard your life gets, the resurrection reminds us that we believe in a God who can turn a curse into a blessing. We believe in a God that can turn our mourning into dancing, who can turn ashes into beauty. You grateful for that this morning? All because Jesus Christ is risen. Can we say that together? Jesus Christ is risen. He's alive and he's active in your life and he's with you and he's for you, church. Thanks for listening to this week's study in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this study. Stay tuned for our next series coming soon.